If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor, and it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection, and I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I am super happy that you're joining us today. We are just kicking off this second season right out of the gate, and this is our second episode in the second season, which is like super fun and super cool and super like, oh my gosh, how are we into two seasons? But here we are. And the subject we are tackling today is a new take on the story of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. And so I'm going to just dive right into that good old story in the book of Genesis. And we're going to focus on the blessed fall that all of us know that story so well. So I have a different perspective on that story and I am excited to share it with you. Before we tackle this lovely topic and this lovely story, I want to give a shout out to all of my Patreon supporters. My Patreon supporters, they keep this show going monthly. They support this show and they receive an email every week after I release the episode and they get my notes from the episode and all of the inner workings of my brain when I'm writing the episode and the subjects I'm working on. They get to see all of that. And they also get at certain levels, they get to have insight and input into the subjects in the show and the guests that we have on the show. So I am super thankful for my Patreon supporters. And if you are interested in figuring out how you could jump on that train and support this show, log on to my website, justajesusfollower.com and click on the button Patreon, and it will tell you everything that you need to know. Also, I am so enjoying the Facebook group, and for those of you inside of the Facebook group, you will know what I'm talking about. Um, For those of you not inside the Facebook group, I just have to say that last month was a hard month for me. I had some family issues I had to figure out and some life changes I had to work through, and it was a rocky, rocky couple of weeks. And that Facebook community has been such a gift to me personally. And I could not even begin to put words around how thankful I am for the people inside that group. So not only is it great, lively discussion, but there is such a a safe knit group of people that love really well inside of that community. And I am honored myself to be a part of it. So, um, and I know I'm not the only one that feels that I know many other people inside the community have gone through their own stuff in life and have felt that same love and that same support. So it's definitely not unique to me. It is just unique to that group. It's really a cool group of people. So If you would like to join the group, it's an open invitation. The more the merrier. So you can opt in by going to my website, just to jesusfollower.com and 
backslash podcast backslash podcast group. You can opt in that way. We would love to have your lovely face in there. So without any further ado, we are going to jump into the subject and I can't wait to hit it. So here we go. Today, I want to kind of dive into this Adam and Eve story. And if you grew up in church or if you've spent any time inside of church or a faith community where the Bible is read, you have probably heard this story. I know when I was growing up, they had the flannel graphs thing. I don't know if any churches are still like rocking those. I personally loved the flannel graphs, but this was a story that was on the flannel graph was the story of Adam and Eve. And when you've heard this story so many times and you you've always just known it, right? And so you just accept it as, well, this is how it went and this is what it means and dare we not question any of the above, right? And as all of you know, going through this whole season on my own of and I say season, I let's be honest, years of questioning and thinking and and wandering in my own little wilderness of sorts between me and God. This was one of those stories that I kind of just like left on the back burner. I was like, eh, I don't know how important it is to really decide what the true meaning of that story is or what it's all about or if it's 100% literal or not. I don't, I don't really care. And truthfully, I didn't care. Like it's in the Bible and I've read it and I moved on from it. Truthfully, that's about as deep as I've ever gone with this story. But this week, actually, for some reason, I couldn't shake thinking about it. And there was one particular part of the story that kept getting my attention. And so I cracked open the book and I reread the story and it just took on a whole new meaning for me. And whether or not this is the absolute 100% certain truth of this story, I don't even know that that matters. I'm just telling you this this is something that's speaking to me right now. And this is what it is saying to me right now. And one of my favorite things about the Bible and the stories in it and the text in it is that it does take on a life of its own. It really does have the ability to speak to you in one way during a certain time of your life. And then later on years from now, speak to you in a different way. And that's one of my favorite things about the Bible. I don't know that I've ever encountered many works that do that. And this written work of the Bible does that for me. It's one of my favorite things about it. And um, so this story is going to sound familiar, but the perspective we're going to look at today is unfamiliar and different. And and I hope that it um, really, really speaks to you the way it has me. So here we go. So I am going to go to Genesis. And of course, um, this is found in chapter two. Um, I'm sorry, no, we're going to pick up in chapter three. And the lovely um, title of this chapter is The Fall, which all of us are like, oh, yes, we remember what that means. The, the, the blessed fall, right? Where mankind completely got the whole thing screwed up. Or did they? 
well, let's let us read, right? And um, I do think this is an appropriate um, story to to place the first fall of mankind on. I really do, and we'll get to why as we go through it. So, um, we're going to start in verse one, and it says, "Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden?'" And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And we're going to pause there, and I, I think this is is the clencher of this whole story and what has been just riddling and rattling and um, messing with my thoughts this week, and, and I will tell you why. So when I read this verse, originally, I should say, when I've read this verse, I, I kind of skimmed past the part that says, you will be like God, and I, and I get to the part that says, knowing good and evil. And that was, you know, the part that I focused on when I've ever read this story before, because it was always emphasized um, in Sunday school classes and whatnot that, you know, this was the reason that they that they fell because their eyes were going to be open to the good and the bad. And so they were now going to be open to sin and not sin, if you will. Okay. But what I think is really catchy about this sentence is your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That was that was the the drive there. Be like God. And what is God like? Well, he knows all. I mean, you could break it down and say he knows good and evil, but but what is good and evil other than all, right? Like the world is filled with good things and bad things, and God knows all. And so this temptation to be like God, to know everything about everything was pretty appealing. And and this is where I want to to draw our attention in is that this is not a new thing. This right here is still super appealing. For instance, I um spending much of my time in my life thus far inside of churches and inside of of groups of people that that the bible and their faith was was their grounding center right it is not uncommon for i mean hours and hours of conversation or hours and hours of book study bible study discussion whatnot of trying to determine what is good and what is evil is this okay for us to do? Is this not okay for us to do? What would God say? Well, I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to fast about it. And then I'll get back to you on what God said. And, and and round and round and round people go on the smallest of things to the largest of things because there is this impeccable desire and appeal to somehow get in the mind of God and know what God would say is okay and what God wouldn't say was okay, to know what God would approve of and what God would not approve of. Like, this goes all the way back to the beginning, to the very beginning. This, this desire to figure out 
the mind and the will and the approving status of God has been there since the beginning. And does it not surprise us then that this drive to know and believe that one has figured out what God would approve of, what God wouldn't approve of, what God deems as good and what God deems as evil would be the driving force that has separated denominations, that has separated families, that has separated children and parents, that has separated friendships, that has separated marriages, that has separated all groups of people. It is this. It usually, in in a faith-centered community, it boils down to this, of someone believing that they have cracked this code of what God would deem as good and evil. And I can already hear, I can hear the, um, the, the voices probably, probably speaking from my past uh, saying, well, well, we, we do know what's good and what's evil because we have the Bible and that is God's holy word. And that is what speaks to us. And that is how we know. You all know, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, that I believe that the word of God is actually Jesus. And I believe that the Bible is a book written by people trying to figure out this God thing. And the most glorious part of the book is when Jesus, who we believe is God, right, in human flesh form, coming to earth and showing us what God is actually like. And the, and the tricky part comes with this, in that, yes, the Bible can be quote-unquote clear, I guess, if you take one or two verses and you build a mantra on those two verses, then you could say, the Bible's clear about da-da-da-da. If you look a little bit out further from that, you will see that the Bible's full, and we've had many guests on the podcast that, that talk to us about this. The Bible is full of of contradictions and full of tension and full of arguments and full of, well, it's this way here, but it's this way over here differently. I mean, it, the Bible is very complex in that. So, so discerning exactly what God would say is good and what exactly God would say is evil can be quite complicated. So it is no wonder that this continues to be something that has um, captivated people and drawn them in with the desire to figure all of that out so that they can say with 100% certainty that they have the corner on God that they know. Now, the beautiful part, as I mentioned earlier in scripture, is when Jesus shows up and kind of throws the whole thing off of its course because Jesus didn't always obey scripture. Jesus didn't always obey the religious laws. Women should be stoned for committing adultery. That was a religious law. Jesus broke that one. Jesus was often seen doing a lot of things that irritated the religious crowd, such as healing on a Sabbath, which was majorly frowned upon, doing any sort of thing like that on the Sabbath, which the people he dined with, the people he aligned himself with. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the list of how Jesus was like, yeah, this thing that you think you've figured out is not so black and white. Even his story of the Good Samaritan, even that story 
it's like messing with their minds as to who could be your your godly Christian neighbor and who wouldn't be. I mean, he flipped everything around, right? And so everything he said and did seemed to to echo this this theme of him challenging the idea that people could crack the God code because he just went around town doing exactly the opposite of the God code in God's name all the time. So this this um, desire to be like God and to figure out what God thinks is good and what God thinks is evil has been the number one source of division since the beginning. So moving on, we're going to move on to the next uh, portion of the story, starting in verse six. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, I think this part of the story is so, like it offers so much wisdom and and it's almost like a warning, this part, I think. When, When we're looking at this in the context of that desire, that you probably have, that I probably have, that almost every person who has ever signed the dotted line on being a follower of God, a follower of Jesus, any of that, there's this desire to to figure out, right? Well, well, what would God? What would God know? What would God not know? What would what would He approve of? What would He not approve of? What's good? What's bad? Right? Here's the warning: when we take that temptation. And we choose to digest it. When we choose to take that path of deciding that we have figured it out. Of deciding that we have the corner on what is good and what is evil. Our eyes are opened, but they are not opened to what you expect them to be opened to. You know, Adam and Eve got a a wicked awakening because had they gotten what they thought they were going to get... It would be a world of peace because in our human mind, we think that if we knew everything about everything, that we would finally have peace. All the questions would be gone. All the worrying would be gone. We'd be at peace. And here's the deceptive part of this trap is that when you take a bite of that really tempting piece of fruit, if you will, Your eyes will be opened, but not in the way that you think. Because what happens is that your eyes become open to shame. They realized they were naked. They felt shame. So why is that? Why why would that be the the consequence, if you will, of, of, of taking a bite of this forbidden fruit? Well, when you have the desire to really, really seek out in your own headspace what God would deem as completely 100% good and completely 100% evil and make, make it all super black and white, right? Totally opposite of how Jesus 
operated, mind you, when you decide to look at things that way and embrace that mindset, you digest that way of thinking, you are 100% focused on shame. And it doesn't appear immediately towards yourself. That, that kind of comes later. What immediately pops to the surface is when you decide that a certain group of people, that a certain behavior, that a certain belief, that a certain way of living your life is 100% evil in God's camp because you have cracked that code and you know for certain what God would deem as good and what God would deem as evil. Basically putting yourself at the same level of God. Okay, when you do that, you are now looking at people with shameful eyes. Because when you decide what is evil, well, you have given yourself permission to look at those acts, those lifestyles, those people, those whatever, fill in the blank. You've given yourself a permission slip to look at them with a shaming, shaming eye. And that becomes your focus. And is it no wonder that when groups separate over such opinionated, um, diversive, intense feelings about what God would say, what God wouldn't say, that they don't behave in a way that is shaming those people, those behaviors, those groups, those things. Shame is all that comes out of them. That's the fruit that they bear. And so when you are focused on shame, which is what happens naturally when you start deciding what is right and what is wrong, you are focused on where to to aim your shame. The funny thing about shame is that it, it comes out of you and circles back like a boomerang and comes right back inside you. Because when you are focused on other people's shame, guess what happens? You become real aware of your own stuff that needs to be hidden. You become real aware that someone else, although you may not think this in in a cognitive way, but subliminally, somewhere in the background of your mind, there is a warning bell going, if I could treat a group like this, somebody else could treat me like this. Somebody else could see me as, or pick apart some part of my life that I might wish wasn't this way, or I might wish to hide, or I might wish we're different, or I might wish I could improve on whatever. You become really aware of all your own faults, all your own imperfections, and your instinct goes straight to hiding. So in this passage, when it says, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Yeah, they did. Yeah, people do. When you're focused on the shame of other people and other things, you see your own nakedness. You see your own vulnerability. You see your own exposure. And it terrifies the living crap out of you. And so what do you do? Well, you do what Adam and Eve did. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And and people are crafty. You know, I look at this as the first... um, like home ec scrapbooking project in the Bible, right? Like they got crafty. They were like, what do we got to work with? I I see some fig leaves. Those will work here. Those will work there. We're just going to cover this stuff up. We don't want people to see. 
And so we are we are not that far different or not that far evolved from this way of thinking. We get crafty. We get crafty. And we duct tape, we piece together, we do whatever we can to rearrange, to delete our inbox, to to hiding certain text messages, to to putting away certain books, whatever. We hide. We know how to hide. People whose eyes have been opened see their nakedness. They see it. And they spiral down into their own hiding game of shame. And it becomes this this ebb and flow where shame is going out and shame is going in. Because you've decided you know good and evil, so you are shooting shame at the evil and your that shame goes out boomerangs right back in and you are you are just in a puddle of your own filth and you see things in your own body and in your own mind and in your own behaviors that that you now are are loathing loathing and you loathe yourself right into hiding moving on to verse 8 Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I love that line. Who told you you were naked? When we go into this hiding place of of shame, and and I find this so true of times in my life when I have eaten this lovely fruit myself of believing I had decided that I was on par with God in certain Um, ways I thought and certain beliefs I had of what was 100% evil, what was 100% good. And you start becoming, like I said, aware of your own stuff. There's this thing that happens where you spiral into hiding so deeply out of fear, out of shame, that you somehow, and I don't even know that it's purposeful, but somehow what happens out of that hiding is this disconnect between you and God. And it's not that God's not there. You know, we see in the story, God is like so close by, walking, breathing, the same air around them. But they, they, it was like an instinct thing. Like instinctively, they just hid. And so God's speaking, but they're not really answering. They're hiding. This is what happens when you've eaten this fruit. The divine will begin to speak, but you will close yourself off. And this to me is is the greatest tragedy of the whole thing and something that I've seen. Oh, I especially saw this when I was a pastor. You know, the people who... And I'm not going to act like I'm above this because like I said, I've had moments in my life where I completely bought into this whole thing too. It's a tempting thing, totally tempting thing. Um, But I remember noticing the people who were so 
I mean, just up in arms militantly, right, about about their stances on things and their judgment of things and their opinions of things and the black and white lines were drawn and they had their militant stance and their weapons loaded and they were just standing to defend their stance and their ground, right? Those people were the most hard-hearted people I'd ever met. And, you know, when I read this story, all the dots kind of connected for me and I was like, oh, this is what we do. This is the human response. When we, when we fall into this mindset and we're operating from a place of shame, right? Shoving shame out at the evil and then eating it ourselves, we do hide. That's, that's an instinctive human thing. But in that hiding, we close off God's voice. And that to me is, is the saddest part of this whole thing. Now, one of my, um, my favorite line that God says here is, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? God knew they were naked the whole time. It's not like they grew private parts. Like God knew they were naked, but they didn't know. And God seemed to like it that way. And you know, this is where, gosh, this is where I just take a breath and and enjoy the humanity and enjoy the God peace and how the two are supposed to work together. Because you see, we were never meant to be like God. We were never meant to know all good and all evil. We were never meant to have the corner on any of that stuff because we were made to be human. And when you're made to be human, you're made to not know everything. You're made to not have all the answers. You're made to let God carry that part and you just get to enjoy the beautiful garden that you're in. You get to enjoy the people in it, the things in it, the beauty of it all, right? Like that's what it's supposed to be. And the tragedy here is when we think we're supposed to be like God, we lose our humanity. We are no longer human beings. We're like these human shame-filled machine guns that shoot shame at everyone we can see and then turn it around and, and shoot ourselves and close ourselves off from the connection that, that we were meant to have all along. And, and we see and, and investigate and pick apart all of these things that we now hate about ourselves that we probably would never have even picked up on before. And so that, that's why I love that part of the verse. He's like, who told you you were naked? You're not supposed to be ashamed of your faults. I see them and I like you and I like them and it's you. You don't need to be ashamed of your story. You don't need to be ashamed of all those little things you want to change. You don't need to be ashamed of your mistakes. You don't need to be ashamed of the parts of your life that you wish you could go back and do differently. You don't need to be ashamed of you in any way. 
Who told you you were naked? Because I didn't. I didn't tell you, and I didn't want you to know. This throws such a curveball in our view of God, at least if you've come from the background I've come from, where God is up there um, handing out judgment, right? And, and with a gavel and, and deciding who is in and who is out and who is good and who is evil. And that's a terrifying picture. It's almost like when you insert that God into this garden story, it would look so much different because they, they would know that they were naked if that God was walking around in the garden. They would know that they needed to be hiding and needed to be repenting and needed to be fixing and sewing and duct taping together. They would know how filthy and rotten and horrendous they were to God if that God were in the garden. But that's not the God you see in that picture and in this story. You see a God that goes, who dared tell my children they were naked? Who told them? Because I didn't. And I didn't want them to know. He doesn't want us covered in shame. He doesn't want us running around and hiding. He doesn't want us trying to figure out the the whole universe and all the ways that God would think and not think and who's good and who's evil. And like, that is not our job. That is way above our pay grade. Like that is way above what we are, I mean, remotely qualified to do. We are qualified to be human beings. That is your job description. That is what you are made for. That is who you are. Our job description means running around fully exposed, shame-free, communing with the divine and each other. Like, that's the picture. Who told you you were naked? The end of this story, well, not fully the end, but the next part of the story, which is where I'm going to stop, is after God asked them, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The thing is, is that when we go down this this rabbit hole, because that's legitimately what this is, this is a mind thing. And when your mind travels down this path and goes through all of these steps, you land at the very end when you are exposed and all that comes out of you is finger pointing and blame shifting and lack of responsibility and this frenzy of panic. Because you've crawled so far into this hole of shame and into this hole of fear and into this mindset of how awful all the the things are that you've decided are awful and therefore how much you loathe yourself and all the things that you should be shameful of that you can barely see straight. And when you look at, as I mentioned earlier, groups of people that are in this 
mindset and this mind frame of having all the answers and having it all figured out and knowing and predicting and all the things, not only are they the shame police, but they're also the blame shifting police. Like, like there is no, no personal responsibility and no personal, um, holding themselves accountable for any of their own behavior. It's like weird because on the outside looking in at first glance, when I see this kind of behavior, my instinct is like, how in the world can you like shred this person to a thousand pieces with your Bible verses and your opinions? And then when someone dares, dares points out something in you, you can't even handle it. And it could be like the tiniest thing, but they can't handle it. They like completely come undone. It's, well, that's not my fault. You know, there's zero peace inside of them that can handle any sort of self-reflection. They're too far down the rabbit hole. They can't do it. I never understood that. And, And now as I've been chewing on this this week, I'm like, oh, I mean, this pattern You'll see it now. You watch. You will see it in people's behavior. I mean, just log on to my blog, by the way, because <laughs> I get some real colorful statements on my blog, people's comments, um, and some of them re- reacting to some of the things I say in this way. And and you and you can just feel how they there's no way they will hear that anything they've ever done could be improved upon or worked on or anything because they can't handle that. They can't handle it. When I think about all this, I'm reminded of the group in scripture that we see Jesus opposing so often, and it was the Pharisees. And and what was it that he continued to bring up with them? It was this hypocritical thing, right? This like better than attitude that they had and and this falseness. I mean, he was so irritated about their falseness, whitewashed tombs and such. Um, That's all this is. That's this story. Like this is how our Pharisees made. It's this, it's the forbidden fruit of deciding that you want to know what God sees as good and what God sees as evil. You want to be like God. No one would say that they want to be like God. Like no one would admit to that. But when you say that you think you know what God would do about anything, especially when it comes to judgment, well, my friend, There's only one person that knows that, and it's God. So if you claim that you know too, well, then you are choosing to be, in your mind, like God. And as we saw in the story with Adam and Eve, the fruit of it is hiding and falseness. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were. 100% that is what they were. And how dare anybody, anybody point out any of their flaws. They couldn't take it. They could not take it. So much so that they plotted and schemed and murdered Jesus because he was exposing and they couldn't take it. This story is such, um, it's a, it's a sobering one. It's a humbling one, but it's also like a liberating one. And the liberating piece I see in it is, A, you have permission to not know all the answers. Like, can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? Like, can we all like wave a white hanky and be super like happy about that? 
It's a whole lot of pressure being removed off of your shoulders right now. You don't have to be anything other than human. That's where God wants you. You don't need to know what God would think is good or what God would think is evil. It's not in your job description. You don't have to know. What you do need to know is that you're not supposed to live in shame and that you're supposed to live in an easy flowing communal with the divine. So much so that you don't even know your flaws anymore. So much so that you don't even know or notice the parts about you that aren't perfect. There's a freeness, there's a lightness, there's an air that you can just breathe in deep when you are able to settle in that space. And I think the garden and the story of Adam and Eve give us a glimpse as to what that can look like and how we can avoid turning the whole thing upside down and landing somewhere that none of us are meant to land. I hope this encouraged you and I look forward to connecting with you all next week. Peace. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.